1: Hello, welcome back to the show. Great to have you along again. Thanks for joining me. And thanks very much to Claudia Miller for joining me. Claudia is the founder and CEO of Claudia T. Miller Career Coaching, and she's also the host of an amazing podcast called Roadmap to the Executive Suite podcast. So Claudia, thank you very much for joining me today.
2: I'm so happy to be here, Ben, especially with some of the topics we'll be discussing today.
1: Yeah, you're making things happen, that's for sure. So Claudia is a sought-after career coach for women in tech, and she's helped her clients land fulfilling jobs at a senior level. She also partners with companies and organizations in identifying rising stars within their organizations and providing strategy, insights, and support in developing a leadership and talent pipeline with a focus on women and women of color, and due to her efforts, she's worked with top Fortune 500 clients and has partnered with World Business Chicago in developing a workforce development strategy in coordination with the city of Chicago's efforts in decreasing unemployment rates for persons of color. You've been a very busy person.
2: Yes, very busy.
1: Yeah. Wow. Do you want to give us the background as to how you got to this position and what led you to the formation of the business?
2: Yeah. So originally, I never had an intention of starting my coaching business. And to be honest, I never knew what a career coach did or that they even existed. So I really found myself. You know, I consider myself a very Type A personality. I'm very ambitious and driven. So I did what everyone tells you to do. I went to college, got good grades, interned, I networked, and I was part of extracurricular activities. And I was just waiting for graduation for like the interviews to start pouring in. And I found myself with one interview, and thankfully they offered me the job. But I knew that in order for me to accelerate my career. I needed to learn something that I didn't learn in school. And at this point, I hadn't learned it yet. So I needed to crack the code on how do you advance in your career in the workplace and help you get ahead? And how do you become that person that, you know, gets sought after? So I was looking for the answer for personal reasons. And, you know, fast forward. Now, I did it myself where I pivoted from like finance to education to healthcare for the state hospital. And then I worked healthcare on the private side, managing healthcare plans. And I've been able to do it every single time with at least a $30,000 salary increase. And I've been able to get handpicked by the CEO, where at times I was only probably 30% qualified based on the job posting, but I was still very successful in the world.
1: Wow. There's a couple of things spring to mind there. But the latter point you made there about despite not having all the, I don't know, meeting all the criteria on the job posting, because correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember reading statistics around male-female application rates and generally... Women are less likely to apply if they don't meet all the criteria is that correct
2: Correct the stat shows that it's around 80% women feel like they need to fulfill at least 80 and sometimes up to 100% of the job description in order for them to apply whereas men can be anywhere around 50 to 60% of that job posting right. they review a job posting they'll say well I haven't done this but I know I can do it so I'm going to apply and honestly that is the right way to approach it to say You look at a job posting and you shouldn't fit every single thing in that job posting because that means there's no career growth, There's nothing for you to learn. And eventually what tends to happen is that job seeker eventually gets bored because they're not being challenged and they find themselves job searching again three to six months right after they started that new role. Mm -hmm. So from an employer perspective and an employee perspective, you want to make sure that you don't fit every single qualification in that job posting because you want to have room for growth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then the other point that sort of sprung to mind as you were speaking earlier there was the question of, well, why not just get your head down, do some good work? Why do you need to think about career development?
2: Well, that tends to happen for more women where, you know, especially depending on your culture, I'm Hispanic. So in our culture is put your head down, be humble. But we know when it comes to the corporate workplace, that's not how actually it works. You may be a great hard worker, but your manager may not promote you. And they might not even know that you want to get promoted. From my experience, not all my clients are trying to get promotion. They're just trying to find a better fulfilling job, maybe a better salary, but everyone has different goals. So making sure that you vocalize I want that promotion, I want to move ahead in my career is something that you have to do as an individual and really have that communication. But again, if you only put your head down and you know don't say anything, well now you're leaving your career in someone else's hands. And what tends to happen is, and what I've seen from my clients is, they'll tell me, I put my head down, I worked, I've been at this company now for 10, 15 years, and I kept getting passed up for promotions, then realizing that they never even told their manager they wanted to get promoted. And now they're feeling frustrated. They're also under earning. And when they do get promoted, they find out that they're getting paid fifty dollars to $80,000 less than what their direct reports are making. So the manager's making less than the employees. And that's when they come to a realization to say, why am I in this situation? And why did it take for me to get here so long? And everyone in similar industries are getting ahead. they are two, three levels above. And I know they're getting paid more than what I'm making because you know, my employees are earning more. And that's when it comes to the realization, whereas I prefer that you know employee, that candidate to make that realization early on so that way they have control of their
1: careers. Yeah, absolutely. And some people might say, well the company should just keep up to date with salaries what's going on in the market and then if people are falling behind bring them back up but it happens pretty rarely honestly and then when companies do try to do that and they review the market rates and some are falling behind i mean the classic is when you have a tech boom and the tech jobs are just flying ahead when that's all run through a spreadsheet and then they have suggested percentage increases alongside each different name and they might have a little conditional filter set up so that it changes to bright red if someone's over 10% increase or this or that. And so it stands out and they go, no, that's too much. Even though they've fallen behind in the market and they could quite easily go and get that money somewhere else, they go, well, we can't justify such a big increase. So it's not all logic-based. What do you think?
2: Yeah. So I've seen a lot of companies where they have like 8 10 maybe 15%. And that's honestly rare. I've seen more like it's only a 10% salary increase if that employee gets promoted. Yeah. And what tends to happen is eventually that loyal employee that's been at your company for years and they've you know, done the work, they've gotten promoted. In 10, 15 years, they've been at that organization. Then they realize that, I mean, I've had clients increase their salary by 50, 80, even $100,000 just because that's how much they've been underpaid this whole time. And now that employee is leaving or they'll ask for you know, to get salary at a fair market rate, so not even ask for anything extreme. It's just, Here's what the market is paying for this job. You know, is there a way we can close this gap? And what tends to happen is, and I understand, like, I've heard from hiring managers and even HR professionals they are like, my hands are tied. I cannot do anything Hmm. up until this candidate has another job offer. And then we can, as (laughs) a company say, well, let us match that job. And at that point, my clients or the job seeker is already frustrated. I had to go and update my resume, apply, interview get the job offer. Finally, this company is seeing, you know, what my skills are worth and the value in the marketplace. And now all of a sudden the funds are available, that job title is available. And at that point, it's the candidate would rather go to the company that saw their value from the beginning. And it's offering the higher salary versus the company that they've been so loyal to that they expected, you know, I'm putting my hard work as an employee and candidate. So I'm going to expect for you to take care of me as a company. And they did not follow or did that due diligence. And then the company then finds themselves still offering that salary to a new external candidate that they still had to pay anyways. But had they listened or paid that employee the fair market rate for that salary, they wouldn't have to spend so much time and resources, finding a new candidate, going through the interview process, and then let alone have this candidate on board. And it takes a while before this candidate can actually bring value to the company itself. And again, All of this could have been prevented had the company paid fair market rates to the employees, and especially the ones that are being loyal. Why seek for external candidates for a position when you have the talent internally? Build them up, have them move up in their career, give them that promotion, offer them fair market rates and salary, because at the end of the day, you're still going to have to pay for it. It's either now or later when you have to hire an external candidate.
1: Absolutely. That makes sense. So, in terms of what you offer, in terms of services, to people who are seeking to improve their career, accelerate a change, whatever it may be. How have you structured your services and how did you also come to decide about what sort of services to offer?
2: Yeah, so I've been doing this now close to eight years and I used to do a lot of one-on-one coaching. I used to do resume writing, I used to do interview coaching and now I've moved more towards an overall signature program. And the reason is because everything is tied to each other. So that's how my program called 90 Day Job Offer kind of came to fruition. And it is a step-by-step process on how to navigate the job search process and actually focusing on things that are going to move the needle, not just, you know, there's a lot of advice out there of like, this "Is how much the font should be on your resume. Whereas the value and the content inside the resume is what's going to get you the interview, not how big your font is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really focusing on the things that matter, walking them through the step of the process. And it's a self-guided course program. and. With that, it also comes a limited email support. And I also offer bi week group coaching calls where it's you know, through Zoom and then they get to meet with other women in the community who are also job searching. I also do a mock interview session with them where I role play as if it's a real interview and I let nice. them know what they're doing really well and where to make improvements in a shorter one of time and how they should reframe their answer to become more high content value. And I also do a salary negotiation session so that way my clients oh. get practice in having those salary negotiation conversation since women are less likely to negotiate their salary.
1: I'm curious to see what happens in that session. You teach them how to thud the stuff down on the table and storm out <laughs> angrily yeah. or is something more subtle to that, I suspect.
2: No, actually, my clients are surprised that they'll say the salary negotiation process was actually a lot easier than updating or rewriting their resume or the interview <laughs> portion. Just because I like to lead with value. So when my clients interview, I've already had them do research on the salary. So they portray and they highlight their high value skill sets that naturally the employer or the company is already going to offer them a good salary for that position. Now, my client already, by the time they get the job offer, they've already are making fifty dollars or $60,000 more because that's what the job offer is coming in. But I still show them how to negotiate an extra 10, 15, 20K on top of that, alongside benefits that'll get them to the entire pie. Because I don't know if like here in the US at least, women are grossly underpaid. They get, especially if you're a woman of color, some of my clients that are Hispanic or Latinas, they get paid 49 cents on the dollar versus what their white male counterpart makes, meaning they get paid half the salary. So I make sure to bake in that increase in there so that way they can make up and actually get paid a fair market rate.
1: I love that. So it gives you that whole sense of why behind the program. And people go in for different reasons into the program. I'm sure, do you find that different types of people with different needs access different components of the program? Or is there a, I don't know, an overall sense that they just work through it all? You know, I'm curious to see how people consume and use the program.
2: So the goal is the same but the approach is different. So the goal of my clients is find a fulfilling job and get paid more like that's the overall goal of their job search. Now I have clients where they'll say I already know what I want to do next so I'm just gonna go in, help with my resume, help me update my interviewing skills, learn how to interview, how to take control, how to figure out whether this company is a good company if they're financially healthy because I don't want them going into a company that may potentially be doing layoffs and there's usually, some signs that you can find in a company to say, you know what, this company right now is not financially stable enough for me to be confident to apply here. Instead, I'm going to focus on these companies that are currently thriving and I see a lot of potential happening there. It can really accelerate my career. So there are those people. While others are trying to figure out, well, I know I I haven't been enjoying what I've been doing, but I know what I like and I know what I don't like, but I don't know what the job looks like. And I help them with career mapping and really getting clarity around it. What are their skill sets? Where would they thrive in? And then getting more clarity. And then once they have that clarity, they can say, this is the job I want. I'm very excited about it. It fits with what I'm looking for. And now I can start that approach. And I now have a career map where it tells me how long I need to be in this role, what skills I need to acquire, and when it's time for me to go on to that next step in my career. So that way I can optimize my career map or my career ladder, as well as my earnings as well.
1: And I suspect an unspoken byproduct of all of this is that people almost raise their, not their game, but raise their ambitions. Maybe they didn't realize they weren't aiming high enough or they had more potential than they thought because they were lacking confidence. And who knows, they've had a bad boss and a bad run. I suspect that you're sort of releasing some of that energy and letting them go for it. I'm also curious as to, the development of a program, because a lot of people would think one-to-one client work is the ideal situation because you can get in depth, but there's a lot of value in a group approach because people are bouncing ideas and learning off each other. Is that right?
2: Yeah. It works really well, not only for my clients, but for me, there's just so much I can do one-on-one and so many people I can meet on a one-on-one basis. And with, you know, everyone has a busy schedule, especially trying to coordinate time with like my schedule and their schedule, and they have a job and they have a life and they have, kids and all these things, the program course really allows them to work on it at their own time. They like it because it really fits their schedule and they can do as much as they can with the time that they do have. And for me is I can serve more clients and then still protect my time because I still want to spend time with my family. I still have other things that I want to do, but I also want to be able to service my clients and not hinder or ruin the integrity of the overall program itself. So the course format works really well for both of us now, whereas I'm still able to deliver that coaching or that help is through the group coaching calls. Yeah, That's where, our, you know, I have usually around eight to 10 women join in and they'll ask questions, give updates. And every time when I do a client exit interview, they'll say the group coaching part was the best. I finally felt like I wasn't alone felt like i was the only one that got passed up for promotions i was feeling horrible my confidence was down the drain i didn't feel my best and then i get to hear you know how one of your clients was feeling the same way and now they have interviews pouring in and now they're negotiating multiple offers and they can't believe they were able to do this in 90 days when they had been job searching for 2 years
1: yeah so
2: hearing other people's stories and then giving them a platform for them to share and also connect. A lot of them actually network and connect because they're all women in tech. They help each other out. And now they're excited because now they're building this network of very ambitious, career-driven women who are also you know, investing in themselves and are able to do the work. And they've kind of partnered, become really great friends.
1: I love that. And that sounds really good. I can see all sorts of synergies and spinoffs flowing from that. That's for sure. Yeah, the group element... Is such a huge energy booster, I'm sure, for all of the participants, the clients in that program. So people listening to this, sometimes when we focus on doing work, consulting work, whatever it may be, we kind of think about the tangible stuff. So I will produce this report or analyze this thing or do something else. But you kind of forget about the intangible stuff. In this case, it's that confidence boost, the energy, the networking Just seeing how others do it and going, oh, wow, I could do things a different way and get a fresh perspective. And when you made the transition from the one-to-one to to the group, that first group program, how did you do it? Did you decide, no, I'm not going to take on any more one-to-ones? Did you tell them, I'm going to move you all across? How'd you manage that transition?
2: It was hard because at the time I was doing a lot of one-to-one and I was working from like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. And I was burning myself out. And that's when I realized I did not create a business to burn myself out.
1: And it's not good for your clients either.
2: Exactly. So it was really hard, but eventually I had to do a cut update. After this, I'm not doing one-on-one. This will be the program. But I mean, I already had done a lot of one-on-one. So I already knew the content. I already knew the flow, what they needed to know, what the challenges were going to be and how they can combat that. So I already knew kind of like what to expect for my clients. So when I decided to do the course format, I made sure, so I still got on sales calls, did the discovery calls, make sure I only let in clients that I know are going to be successful. And there's a few things that to look out for. But I made sure to say like, by the way, my enrollment starts January 1st. And once I got three to four people, well, I did the sales calls and I think my first time it was like four people signed up mm-hmm. and they knew that January 1st was when the program actually was going to get started. So once I got, payment in and I got clients and that's when I started creating my program to have it launched by January 1st Smart. because otherwise I probably would have still been trying to create that course but when I have a timeline I know I work well with deadlines is I have a month I have paying clients I need to make sure that I provide what I promised and I think I finished my program in about five days <laughs> everything slides I recorded everything created the workbooks templates everything put it into the system. I use Teachable and I put it all in there. And then that's how I got started. But I'll admit, I had tried to do this for two years. And up until I set myself the deadline, that's when it actually happened. And like I said, I was able to do it in five
1: weeks. That's brilliant. Yeah. You hear in business, this sort of phrase of, you've got to burn the boats, like the Vikings did burn the boats so they couldn't go back. They had to fight their way forward. It's a bit like that. You set yourself a public deadline. And then especially when you're having taken money for it, you're absolutely committed so that's a very smart idea and for people listening to this whether they are currently in-house and maybe thinking of running a side project or they've got their own business or part of a team within a HR related business and they're looking to set up a program and grow it in who knows employee retention diversity inclusion recruitment training whatever it may be because there's a wide range what's your advice on how to get that program growing and actually acquiring new clients or members into that program what's your Business growth advice.
2: Well, if they're going to do like a retention, diversity, they can do licensing. So not just a course, but saying, I'm going to license this out to your employees as part of your LMS or whatever you know platform oh. that they're using. And they can say, you get access to this, a limit access. And you can. there's so many ways you can slice and dice it. But I would say, you can tell that person or sign a contract, you get access to this for a year. Here it is, how much it is per headcount or however that may be where I know some like some counterparts that I have, like colleagues in the business space that they'll charge $100,000 to get access to their trainings for a year. And every year it renews. So it's a nice paycheck coming in and you've already created the program. Now, whereas where I find my clients and where I find that growth aspect is through LinkedIn. I do a lot of outbound where Mm -hmm. myself and my VA, we go and like we find our ideal clients. We reach out to them. We start a conversation. We get on a discovery call to make sure that they're a good fit. And then based on what their needs are, then that's when I would say, here's that program. I think you'd be great. Or you know what? This may not be a good fit. When I'm working with corporations and companies, I make an assessment of what are they trying to achieve? What is the scope of work? What does it look like? And then I can create somewhat of a customized solution. And for some of your audience members or your listeners that are like, well, I have a course program that I can sell like a diversity. Well, then maybe you could include that as a package. You get access to this while also you get access to my coaching or consulting where, you know, I can grab one of your top leaders, do a one-day workshop, work for them so that way they know how to implement what's about to be released. So that way it's effective. And then here's how to measure, like, if it's working or if they're doing all the right steps along with the course format, and then you can say, let's do a postmortem, let's get together, and then we can get a survey feedback and say, like, what else do we need to do? Or do like a diagnosis or diagnostic to say, based on this, here's what you need to do next to really get to that scope of work. Based on what your team did during this timeframe, this is what they were able to achieve, but in order to get to this level, here's what you need to do next. And then that can become an ongoing relationship.
1: I love that. That's great. It's a hybrid or a blended approach. So using your resources, but also embedding yourself into that company. And then so at the B2B enterprise level, obviously you can charge, you know, really big money for that sort of stuff. So that's very clever. On the LinkedIn, do you just connect with someone and then instantly send them a message saying, Hey, buy my stuff, or what's your approach?
2: So usually I have filters already. I already know who my ideal client avatar is, like who I'm going after. So I'll look for them on LinkedIn. I do have sales navigator. So I look them through there. I make a list of it. And I go through their activity to make sure, like, do they post a lot? And if they're not posting a lot, they're probably not going to get my LinkedIn message. So I may try to find their email address and kind of find something I know they'd be interested in. So, for example, right now would be something like, hey, Ben, I noticed that you're the human resources vice president. And I know you're probably planning out for 2023. Do you have specific courses already set up or specific personal development programs for your managers to help you meet your goals for next year and help with employee retention. Something along those lines, Mm -hmm. you know, is that something you'd be interested in? And so I work with different companies and the messaging can be a little bit different, but I do try to create like a list of top 10 companies I want to work with. And I research them. Like, what are they trying to achieve? What are their press releases? Oh, did they just hire someone new, like with an executive seat? Why was the reason why? Usually, you can review the earnings call, you can read the interviews from that new executive, (laughs) and then you can review that person's activity. What are they promoting? And then that's when I developed that email to reach out to them.
1: Nice. And you've got an amazing podcast. I'm just wondering if you could not name drop some of those top 10 companies into episodes to say, so for example, if you want to get your resume together so that you could go off to work for Coca-Cola. And then obviously you can uh, name drop that episode and say, oh, we've just uh, used you as a case study and, you know, we should talk because that's always a, a nice in." And on the topic of the podcast, could you just quickly describe the podcast? Because there's lots of great content in there for people who are trying to develop their career. Do you want to just give us a quick overview?
2: Yeah. So the podcast is called Broadmap to the Executive Suite. And it's really with the intent of demystifying of what it is to be a woman. Like what does it take to get there? how to move ahead in your career, and is this something you want to do or not? Because I felt that when I talk to a lot of clients, they'll say, well, I want to get up there, but I just don't want to be an executive. I want to still be able to have time with my family. Mm-hmm. Yet when I work with executives, they have time with their family. Yeah. Sometimes even the people that are not an executive roles have less time with their family than the executives. So I bring in executives, I bring in recruiters, executive recruiters as well, and say, hey, can you tell us actually what does the process look like? What do you look for in a candidate? Overall, from your perspective, how do you work with companies and really just creating and bringing that transparency to the overall process. And then also giving career advice on like, how can they start, even if they're an individual contributor, how they can continue moving up in their career to help them prepare if they wanted to be in the executive suite.
1: I love it. And that obviously raises your profile and it gains trust, builds connections and you know puts you on a pedestal almost. Do you find it's effective for your business and for business growth?
2: Definitely. Where, you know, sometimes when I'm having like a prospect and they're like, well, I'm not sure if this will work right now. I'm feeling this. so I don't know if this will be at the right time. And if I hear it enough, I'll create a podcast around Is this the right time for you to start job searching? (laughs) And here are the five top reasons why you need to start now versus next year.
1: Wait, I'm going to steal this idea.
2: Yeah, and then I'll say, Ben, hey, by the way, I know you mentioned this. I just created this podcast. I had you in mind. I thought this would be a really good listen for you. Let me know your thoughts. So I can use that in the sales process. But also, a lot of my clients and you know people, they refer the podcast and tell me, by the way, I've been listening to your podcast. I listen to all your episodes. I feel like I already know you. I found this out. It takes around 12 to 18 touches before a person will buy from you. You don't actually need to talk to that yeah. person 12 to 18 times. My podcast is talking to them 12 to 18 times. My LinkedIn profile, or my Instagram, and all the content that I'm delivering is talking to them 12, 18 times. Now, I may still have to talk to them one or two times, and I do have a follow-up sequence that allows them for me to continue nurturing and walking this prospect along this process, but it's been very vital in many various ways.
1: Yeah, And I'm just laughing because I'm going to use that idea more to record yeah. more episodes, for instance, on my own podcast sort of different questions, but I definitely did one and I kind of stopped at that point, but one was, I used to get emails in from people and I'd just be, how do I get more clients? I'm going, well, what's your business? What stage are you at? Have you got a service? Is it a good service? What kind of marketing do you have? All these questions. And I kind of got bugged when I get a question like that. I'm going, well, you got to put a little bit of effort in. So I did a whole episode on that very topic, ask better questions and dive in and you'll get better answers.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, like, you can actually break that down into like five, 10 different topics. How do I get a client as a consultant? How do I get clients and when I work with B2B businesses? How can I get more clients if, you know, you're trying to start a business on the side while working full time? And then you can even do like, how to assess what you're doing wrong that's preventing you from getting more clients? And how can they self audit? Because you have questions. I know I have questions too. All right, do you have this? No? Well, there you go. That's where you can start. And now it's an episode on how you can start that. Do you have this? So like, there's different ways you can slice and dice. That's just one topic. But the best way I found too is the questions or the situations or case studies I keep hearing over and over again. I already know it's either one of these three things. So let's figure out which one are you. And here's kind of like what that strategy looks like for you.
1: I love that. So yes, as we start to wrap up, for people who themselves are starting to think about expanding their career and develop and would be potentially interested in working with you or learning more about your program, what should they do next?
2: They can go to my website, claudiatmiller.com. And there I have like my list of services, how to get in contact with me, or they can also follow me on LinkedIn. Claudia T. Miller. And there I share a lot of free career advice. And of course, they can just private message me. And then we can have that conversation to make sure that we're both a good fit.
1: Brilliant. And the website also has a link to the podcast. So for people interested in following Claudia, I'll check the show notes. We'll have Claudia's LinkedIn profile and and everything there. Claudia, you've created a wonderful program, which is helping women and women of color in particular. So I commend you for doing good work. And thank you for sharing all your insights and advice. I've really enjoyed our chat today. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me.